Good evening. Happy to see all of you here this evening. We will not finish the book of Jude tonight, but we will finish next week. And so uh, hopefully our series of lessons on 1st and 2nd and 3rd John and Jude have all been beneficial for you and hopefully you have enjoyed it and maybe learned a little something in the process and uh, I hope that it's been uh, beneficial for you. Have you ever known anybody in your life that was only concerned with themselves? Anybody that was only concerned with themselves? Toby Keith's girlfriend. Who? Toby Keith's girlfriend. He had to stop. I want to talk about me. Oh, okay. I got you. So, the idea of someone being only concerned with themselves means that, in a sense, a decision has been made by that person that says that they are more important or they are perhaps more valuable or worthy or whatever than you are. And that no matter what happens, they're first or they are who should be, you know, maybe here. I don't know what the best way to say it. But when folks are only concerned with themselves, then we see a couple of different things that can happen. One, if you're only concerned with yourself and everything is going well for you, then everything is usually okay. But when you're only concerned with yourself, but things don't go well for you, your whole focus is solely on how can I make things better for myself? Perhaps even at the detriment of other people. What we're going to talk about in Jude tonight is what Jude talks about uh, in where we left off last week about false teachers and about false teachers being solely sort of concerned with themselves. So if you're by this definition being a false teacher, then your concern is with you. Because if the opposite, if a false teacher, what would be the opposite of a false teacher? A truthful teacher. Okay? If we false, the opposite of false is truth, then a truthful teacher of the Bible or of Scripture is going to teach about what? They're going to teach the Bible or the Scripture. And they're probably going to focus most of their teaching on what Jesus said. Okay? You know, you'll sometimes hear people say that if it's written in red in the Bible, that makes it even more important. Now, those are the words that Jesus said. And so this idea of being a truthful teacher, you'll sometimes hear people or preachers or teachers say this, those aren't my words, those are whose words? Those are Jesus' words. So I'm not, I'm parroting what Jesus said. This is not news, new information coming from me. Jude's going to talk about false teachers and how they're going to go against the teachings of Christ. Well, if the teachings of Christ are considered to be true, anything that would go against it would be considered what? That would be the, the person would be teaching false. So let's look into the book of Jude 
here to start with. And in fact, we're going to start, uh, where do we leave off? We'll start with verse 12, okay? When we were last together uh, last week, we spent a good bit of time talking about how Jude had spoke to the people, or he had written to the people in this, uh, in this epistle, and he was telling them, reminding them of examples throughout Jewish history of when people did not do what they were supposed to do. You may remember us, I hope you remember us, talking about that. We talked about how he said that these false teachers had traveled down Cain's path. He talked about uh, the example of Balaam, uh, about Korah's rebellion, and how all of these different things sort of led to destruction. And it was people that had, in a sense... The best way to describe it had sort of went against what God had told them. These were stories that Jewish people knew. These were uh, familiar stories to Jewish people at the time. And they understood those people made a wrong decision and it ended up costing them. That's what he's trying to say here. Now, in each of those stories, be they the story of Cain or Balaam or uh, the, the, the rebellion of Korah, in all three of those stories... There is, God is present in those stories. But there are people that tried to, you know, try, try to take matters maybe into their own hands. Think about the story of Cain from last week. What did Cain do? Do we remember? He killed his brother. For what reason? Jealousy. For jealousy. Because his brother had given what? A, a, a more acceptable sacrifice, I think, is... Is how I read. So God was sort of tied in there. That He was Cain was concerned with you know sort of doing good for God, offering a sacrifice, but God was un did not accept what Cain had done, and so Cain takes matters into his own hands. In a sense, what Cain is saying there is, well, God is wrong. I'm, what I did was right. I'm gonna get rid of this. Uh, you know, I'm gonna get rid of Abel so that we don't have. You know, so I'll show that I'm right. Maybe you might interpret it that way. Is, in a sense, that relative to false teaching? God was there. They were supposed to give the sacrifice, and Cain gets mad because, well, what God said, I disagree with it. Jude makes reference to these stories because he felt like the people obviously would have understood them. Now, let's go a little bit further. Verses 12 through 15. Ella, would you care to read verses 12 through 15, ma'am? Which 
So we'll get to there. We'll get back to that last verse in just a second. I think Ella said the word ungodly like five times in one sentence right there. I think we have a pretty good sense of what she was aiming for or what Jude is writing, what Ella was reading uh, there for us to begin with. So in verses 12 and 13, what does Jude compare false teachers to? Okay, yeah, so that was in verse, that's in verse 11, you're right, that they were greedy, uh, that they were interested only in profit, they were, uh, they were rebellious. What about in verses 12 and 13? How does... Uh, okay. They're, they're, they're empty. Empty. Empty is a really good word. If you look at all of these different things that are mentioned there, they're clouds without water, carried about by the winds... Um, they're late autumn trees without what? Twice dead what? What does that mean? Twice dead, pulled up by the roots. It's over, yeah. There's nothing there. There's, anybody, ever had a, anybody ever had a tree cut down or you know, pulled up at your house or you know, in your neighborhood? You know, you know, you can trim your trees and you know, maybe you know, whenever you go out and you pick a little bit off here or there, you, take a couple branches off. But when you cut that tree down, it's gone, right? And then you've taken that completely away. So there's nothing there. Verse 13, raging waves of the sea foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of forever. All of these are just phrases that mean empty. So he's describing these false teachers as what? They're empty. So what does that mean? If a teacher was described as empty or useless, everybody's wasting their time. Wasting their time. That would be fair. That would be fair. <clears throat> now, I've always said that elders have a responsibility to make sure that the gospel is being preached. Well, we could get Brent to come up here every week and uh, get up there and say, "I love you," and God loves you, and say that over and over again. Well, they would maybe not be angry. Right. So we have to, you know, Paul said he, he had not shown to speak the whole counsel of God. Uh, preacher needs to preach the whole, the good and the bad, and maybe even the ugly part that you don't want to hear. You know, uh, that's what preachers are compelled to do, and elders are made to do to make sure the people are there. So if we look at verse 12, we talk about, we think about emptiness and we think about what dad said right there about, you know, a, a preacher, a false teacher is not really bringing anything to you. Um, can we be deceived by false teachers? But I think we can be, be deceived by what's in verse 12. Have you ever been at home or maybe not at home, but you looked up and you saw some clouds, you thought, oh, I better get home. You ever thought that? It's going to rain. And then you get home, and a couple hours pass, and all of a sudden it's pretty. And you, you ever made a statement like, I'd have bet anything it was going to rain earlier today. Just sometimes that, you know, it kind of looked, it looked good. It looked, we know what should be coming from that, but it hasn't. Have you ever seen a tree that looks good, but it's actually dead? You ever seen those? You know, sometimes, sometimes just because the tree's dead doesn't mean it just dies immediately. There's good parts to it. It still looks, you know, you catch that tree at the right angle, it looks, there's nothing wrong with it. You go poking around, you see on the inside of it, or, you know, whatever, and it's dead. Does that 
comparison match up with false teaching? It might look good, but it's not necessarily what it is. That's what Jude's telling these people. Yeah, no, I think we see it all the time uh, if, we, if we're paying attention to politicians. They will ask a politician all the time a direct question, maybe yes or no, and the politician will respond with a five or ten minute answer. <laughs> and then when they're through, they haven't said anything. Right. They didn't say yes or no. Or maybe. They, didn't say so they, they have that ability right. that they can talk and flower it up. And, uh, and they're maybe sometimes all equally guilty, just about. Sure. And, and I think that, you know, yeses and nos tie you down to things. Well, in many cases, the Bible's full of yeses and nos. You know, they're tied, they're, they're, you know, Jesus is, you know, Jesus is questioned about numerous things, and to, to use your example, and he gives his answer. And even in the Old Testament, you know, there's, there was laws and rules, restrictions, whatever you want to say, that was right there. We also read in the Bible, it says, well, let your yes be what? And your no be what? And so this idea of, you know, a, a, a strict answer, uh, you know, and, and that does not mean that every single thing that comes up necessarily has a strict yes or no answer. But there are things that do have strict yes or no answers. Let's go to verse 14. As Ella read a minute ago, now Enoch, the seventh of Adam, prophesied about these men also saying, and then it starts it there in just a second. We talked a little bit about this. Uh, last week about who Enoch was. But now Enoch, it says, the seventh from Adam. What does that mean? Seventh generation. If you want to know who Enoch was, if you have, you know, if you have any family trees, if you know, you can look back your family tree and see who your grandma or your great-grandparent or someone like that is. Enoch was the great-grandfather of Noah. Okay, so he was the great grandfather of Noah. He was the father of Methuselah. So if that doesn't, it may not do anything for you. It doesn't necessarily, you know, there's not a quiz over that or whatever. But Enoch is a person that is referenced in the Bible. Now, what Enoch is saying right here is not something that you'll find in the Bible. Okay, we talked we we talked a uh, week or so ago about like this book of Enoch. Jude was making reference to uh, materials that people at the time were familiar with. But Enoch, it says, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. To do what? In verse 15. To execute judgment on all. Okay? Now, what is, we, we talked about judgment, we know what judgment is, but what does it mean to execute something? Huh? So, yeah, they're good to, to serve, to sort of carry it out, to, to make it happen uh, as it will. Sometimes uh, uh, a coach will say at the end of the game, and they lost, he'll say, well, we just didn't execute the game plan. Well, what he's saying right there is we had a plan, but we didn't really follow through with it, and the result was not good. It says that, he would, that the Lord, in verse 14, comes with ten thousands of his saints, to execute judgment on who? On all. So what does that mean, to execute judgment on all? Mine says the ungodly. Okay. <laughs> and mine says ungodly a lot after that as well. So it says there's a judgment, right? There would be a judgment coming. To convict all who are ungodly 
among them of their ungodly deeds, which they have committed how? In an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things, which what kind of sinners? Have spoken against him. Un in front of something. Ungodly means what? Against God. Not God-like if it were to be that. Would you want someone to describe you as ungodly? No. Yeah, a really negative description if we said Leland Graham is an ungodly person. If I didn't know who Leland was, my first thought would be, oh, that's really bad. That's not an accurate statement at all. But that would be my first thought if I didn't know that person. You said, just pretty ungodly. You know? That's kind of a negative thing. You know? If you said somebody was tall, that's what it means anymore. If he's funny, okay, whatever. But ungodly kind of tells us, kind of makes me think. The Ella read in that verse, ungodly, 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 ungodly. There's judgment that would be executed on those. So we can kind of put that whole verse together and say, what's our expected judgment if we're ungodly? What should our expected judgment be if we're ungodly? We would be punished. Be a negative negative judgment, right? There would be punishment as a result of it. So we have to avoid ungodliness. Make sense? It, it's pretty clear in that verse, ungodly. And it's mentioned, I think it's interesting there, their ungodly deeds uh, committed in an ungodly way, ungodly things that were said. All these different things can be ungodly. Thoughts? And certainly we find out from the Bible, from the Bible, that, that Enoch was certainly ungodly. Right. He lived 365 years and said God took Yes. Verses 14 and 15. Now Enoch prophesies this. Well, this book of Enoch that existed that Jude was referencing would have been far, far older than the people that would have been reading. This was thousands of years back from the people that would have been reading this. So he's making reference to something that these people were familiar with, these Jewish people were familiar with, but it had been a long time ago. But his point to them was, you know, remember, he was talking about this a long time ago. It's still, happening. You know, it's still uh, potentially there. So when we've looked in these series of lessons about how does it relate to us, well, we've always went back and said the writings were much older than the people that were being written to, and it was being related to them. So those still, you can't say, well, that's a lesson from way back when, but it's not applicable now because... 
it still is applicable. The teachings of Christ and the apostles were still uh, applicable uh, at the time of Jude, and they still would be today. Marilyn, are you hot? I am too. Do you hear that? Drop that down just a little bit. Sorry, Lucille. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Jim. All right, Lucille, you can, you get, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. I feel like not starting church at six was a win for, or not starting it at two in the afternoon was a win for you. So we'll turn the air on. That'll be a loss for you on this one, right? (laughs) You'll trade that one off right there. I, would, I don't know that I was that warm until I kept looking at Marilyn and she kept, she's, I, either, either that or you're just going to have to move over here and fan me while you're, while you're doing it. So, yeah, yeah. So let's go down then to verses 16 through 19, okay? 16 through 19, because we're going to see these false teachers and the description of them uh, even more in verses 16 through 19. And if you care to read verses 16 through 19, please. So he keeps going in verse 16, and let's look at the way that uh, Annette read there, how these false teachers are described. He said, these are what? What's the first one? Does anybody have a different, anybody have a different word? Grumblers is what I had. You ever know anybody that grumbles? What's it mean to What's it mean to grumble? so grumblers in a sense never happy right never maybe not make a big scene out of it but never really have just kind of grumbling kind of thing well what's the problem with grumblers Everybody's nervous. Nobody wants to hear them. You just should not be around them. You do. You, and, and you, you don't want to be around them. In, in a lot of ways, you just sort of dismiss them. If everything is a complaint, is anything really a complaint? You just sort of get to, oh, what now? You know? What, what, what now? This, this grumbling is just like, how do we make this person happy or whatever? So it says a murderer or a grumbler, either one. What's the second descriptive word there? Grumblers, and then what's the next one? Complainers, okay? So grumblers and complainers. And sometimes we kind of put those things together. But complaining is what? What does it mean to complain? What's it mean to complain, Jim? (laughs) Finding fault. Never happy, nothing, never satisfied, finding fault with everything. Do we know people that are complainers? Can we, Marilyn wore that complainer hat tonight. I'll let her complain. Yeah, I agree with her. I think that went to sisters. Oh. Now, 
When we think about complaining, how many of us are complainers? We all do. Okay, it's easy to laugh and joke about it and say him or her, but we all fall into that, right? Because we all kind of want things to be our way, right? We all do. We're all the super guilty. Absolutely. Hold on, right? Absolutely. Somebody said something, you can't get it. Yeah, you're exactly. He said somebody says one thing, and it can be 100% the truth, but you weren't the one that said it. You know, it's exactly what I've already been saying. I've always said you could, uh, the, the football field needs mowed, you know, for the big game. And you could go out there, person could, and mow the whole football field with a 20 inch push pull. Mow whatever it is, take five But right at the end, they run out of gas, and they leave one little strip, three foot long, mm -hmm. two foot wide. And everybody walked that stadium and I said, well, they missed the place. <laughs> that's, that's what we did. We, uh, they missed it. He mowed 99 whole nine. Right. <laughs> but that's, that's how we did we all, we're all guilty of this. So this is not a, it's not a finger pointing exercise unless we're pointing at ourselves because we're all guilty of this. Why do we complain? We want it our way. You know why we want it our way? So we're supposed to eat each or human, right? And if it's our way, it's the best. It's the best. I don't have anything to complain about. You don't want me to complain, let's do it my way, right? What's the problem with doing it one certain person's way? description of these folks as being grumblers and complainers, the third thing says they walk how? They walk after their own lust. Now we tend to think about lust as being sexual, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. Walking after their own lust there, what is that just really saying? They want what they want. They want what they want. They're going to go, they're going to do what they want. And if you're in the way, then what? If you're keeping me from getting what I want, then what? You're a problem. You're a problem. I could remove you. Jesus and his teachings complicate matters for false teachers. Jesus gets in the way of what that person, that teacher wants. That teacher might want a larger crowd. That teacher might want a greater offer. That teacher might want to make everybody in the audience happy so there's no complaints. The teachings of Jesus might sometimes keep that from happening. So the false teacher says, Jesus has to get out of the way. That's a tricky, dangerous spot to go down, right? But does that happen with churches and with teachers? 
Are things taught or maybe not taught to make the crowd bigger? The offering plate heavier? The people in the pews happier? It's just like that now, right? Things are religion. No. Jude was writing 2,000 years ago about those problems. And these problems are always the same because people, we've talked about this numerous times, people were human then just as they are now. The things that people wanted were the same then as they are now. He says all, he describes them grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust. And the second part, and they mouth great swelling words doing what? The second part, what's the, what's the last part of verse 16? Great swelling words doing what? Flattering people to gain advantage. Okay? You ever wanted someone... Yeah. You ever wanted somebody to do something for you? Maybe you were younger, maybe not. But you wanted somebody to do something for you so you feel nice to them, hoping that they would. You ever done that? Kids do it, adults do it. You know, I say, I'm too young. I really like to, I really like this job. I really that will be super nice to them or whatever. So you say all these really nice things. I don't necessarily mean them, but I'm going to say all these really nice things. To gain an advantage. False teachers, it says in verse 16, flatter people to gain an advantage. Not my preacher. He wouldn't do that. He tells it just like it is or whatever you want to say. Well, he might be telling you what you want to hear so that you'll keep coming back for it. The problem is, is when we stop looking at our Bible and we just let him talk. That's when we get easily swayed. People are convinced easily of everything. We see it every day. But we're convinced because we don't care to look for ourselves. He says, verse 17, But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 18, what did John want the brethren to remember? What did he want these people to remember? I guess 17 and 18 kind of combined together. What's he want them to remember? I'm sorry? Okay, yeah. Uh, yes, verse 18. I, I'm, I, I'm kind of all over the place with my question right there. He's, I'm going to come back to you in just a second, Brandon. He is saying, verse 17, to remember who taught who taught The apostles. The apostles of Jesus Christ. Now, right, he said that there would be what? Jesus taught the apostles who taught the, the non-apostles, uh-huh. including Jude, and then who are teaching other people. It, it, everybody is taught the gospel by somebody. Right. And so remember, we can go back to the source. Sure. We, they didn't have the Bible back then, but we've got the source. We go back. Well, I don't care what the preacher said. I don't care what the elders said. I don't want to say what Jesus said, because that's what we're going to be judging. Right. That's what, that's, what, that's what Jude is trying to get across these people. As Raymond said in verse 18, how they told you that there would be mockers or scoffers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. And so what he's saying right there is he's saying, you know, Christ told the apostles, the apostles are telling you, well, your story of somebody, everybody's taught by somebody, none of us, we've talked about this before, none of us were taught by Jesus, right? None of us sat at the foot of Jesus. How are we taught by Jesus today? Through the Bible, right? So I can't say that Jesus 
stood in front of me like a school teacher would and taught me this lesson and that lesson, but I can open my Bible up and read the lessons that Jesus taught to me. Does that make sense? Do we agree on that? And so we have to be able to do the same to these people. You've been, there was no scriptures as we think of it at the time for these old folks. There were some writings that were starting to emerge, these letters and that kind of thing. But there was no combined Bible at the time that they could just easily turn back to. But he's saying you were taught by the apostles and they were taught by Jesus. You can't let these people just drift in and say, ah, Jesus wasn't real, don't worry about this or that. He said, remember what you have been taught. I think so. I think ever since, you know, I think we, the, the, the day Christ resurrected into heaven began the, the, the last time. Mm-hmm. And I think people get too focused on trying to pin a date on that without realizing that our last time is, at any t- is the minute we take our last breath. And if we knew when that was going to be, it'd be a whole different, we don't know that. We have no idea when that's going to be. So he's saying that at that time, that was the last time, like you said, that Jude was writing. We can describe the same thing today. He said the people here uh, that are teaching you wrong, and it's going to be a failing in judgment because of it. Jessica? Right. Other thoughts on verse 18. And, uh, you know, I've said it before and I'll say it again. When someone gets up and says, I know the Bible says this, but I say that you are really telling the Holy Spirit that, well, Holy Spirit, you've either lied to us or told us wrong. That's what you're saying. And people say, oh, no, no, I don't mean that. But I know the Bible says this, but I think it means this. You've got to throw that thing out. verse 19 real quick and then that, that's as far as I got so we can't go any further than that tonight but what call, what type of person does verse 19 say causes division mm-hmm. yours might say something along the lines of these are sensual persons who cause divisions not having the spirit that's not what Annette read Annette read verse 19 again from your from your translation That word sensual there, when we think about sensual, uh, sometimes you'll see advertisements for uh, sensual body wash or something like that. That's what's in the bottom of my head. You know, it's it's something that, you know, gets you clean or whatever. But that word sensual right there, what they're talking about, is people that sort of follow passions. And, And in reality, we've already seen that in verse 16, walking after their own lust. So he sort of repeats himself right there. But they're, they're, they're going through, they're doing what they would want to do. It says that they cause division. Let's t- hold your hand there, but turn back to Romans 
chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. This is the last book, or excuse me, last chapter in the book of Romans. This is Paul writing in Romans chapter 16. We'll look at verse 17. Romans 16 and verse 17, Paul says, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause division and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which you learned. And then he says what? And avoid them. Now, Paul wrote Romans and Jude wrote Jude, but are those sentences pretty similar in what we just read? These are both people that were followers of Jesus, that were teachers who had been taught the the words from from what Jesus had said. In Romans, I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses. What does that mean to note? Right there. Note those that cause division and offenses. Identify. Identify. Mark them. Mark them, okay. Any other thoughts on note them right there? It says turn away from them. Turn away from them. Right? There are people you gotta watch out for. You know, you gotta you gotta note for them. Uh, a notable person is something that somebody recognizes. An unnotable person is something that nobody pays attention to. Paul's saying in Romans 16, 17, note those which cause division and offenses. Contrary to the doctrine which what? What's it say in verse 17 there? Contrary to the doctrine which which, mm-hmm, which we have learned. He says when people start telling you different from what you have learned, you got to get out of the way. You got to make a note of that person. I can't listen to that person and also I need to avoid that person. Anybody ever tried to avoid someone? Anybody ever tried to avoid somebody? You ever known somebody that if you you know if you see them in the store, they're gonna to talk to you for an hour and a half. Yeah. And you go down one aisle at Walmart, they're down the other, and you say, well, hurry up, you know, I gotta you know, I gotta get home before you know the rooster crows. I can't be staying around, you know, forever. We're all we, we know what it means to avoid, right? You ever heard the term avoid like the plague, maybe that term that statement? Avoid tells us we need to get far removed. But it looks like that's what Paul's saying to these people about false teachers. He says, you see these false teachers, you need to avoid. Jude says the exact same thing. Now, we'll avoid the person in the store as hard as we can. Do we always avoid the false teachers the same way that we avoid the person in the store? Not always. I think it's, uh, there might be someone who has a tendency to beat people out of money and they may you know, beat this guy out of 50 and this guy out of 50 and this lady out of 100. And so we will say, that's the they Right. But the same token, we will rub shoulders with those people that are beating people out of their salvation. Sure. And not only avoid, we will rub shoulders with, we'll almost embrace them. And he says to avoid those kinds of people. Good lesson for us there as well. Next week, we will finish up the book of Jude. Anybody have questions or anything before, uh, before we wrap up?
as to why we have so many different, uh, I don't know, so-called churches, I guess, in the world today because of this very woman right here. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Others? All right, thank you.